<clears throat> like a good neighbor, Barry Manilow wrote the song, and it's been the catchphrase for over half of the corporate life of that massive insurance corporation for 60 years. And they still sing it, and they still say it simply because it works. It works to have the understanding and the belief that people still are good neighbors, that people care, that there's a community around us of individuals that would work together with us if we were ever in need, if we had a problem. And the catchy catchphrase has worked to bring the company into a great deal of respect and honor and, and until, still to maintain its purpose as an insurance company for over a hundred years. You know, in our uh, conversation sometimes, you know, it was a few years ago that, that uh, Kristen had decided that she'd like a pool for the backyard, a swimming pool, not a big in-ground pool, but, you know, one of those temporary take-it-down-before-winter-comes kind of pools. And uh, I knew that <clears throat> my dad had already told me, swimming pools are nothing but work, Jack. So I avoided the advertisements on Kijiji. I avoided the, uh, the calls to check this out and take a look at this. And nevertheless, Kathy somewhere found somebody that was willing to deliver a used pool to our house for X number of dollars. And before I knew it, there it was in the backyard. And I had a job on my hands. It wasn't just a job of setting the pool up. It wasn't just the job of filling the pool with water. It wasn't, wasn't trying to figure out where it was going to fit. It wasn't any of that. It was, it was on top of all that. I also knew that the city had regulations and responsibilities for pool owners. And the kids have often termed me nervous Nelly. And I can run down the road of every possible bad case scenario. Maybe that's part of my job here as a pastor. But I, I can... Imagine and envision the wrong thing happening before it ever comes into being. And so I knew that before the pool would be filled with water, there was a fence that would have to be built. Fence. You understand, you, you, anybody know that you can't buy good neighbors? You can't buy them. You either got them or you don't. I don't know where you fall in that equation this morning. I, I don't know if you've got good neighbors. I don't know if you've got bad neighbors. And this is broadcast, and I'm of the understanding that sometimes my neighbors watch. But even if they weren't, I would still have to say that I have great neighbors. I've got great neighbors all around me. And so i got to tell you that it was awkward for me when it came time to put up the fence because all of a sudden what had been a free flow of traffic between yards and what had been a free flow of communication among our neighbors now all of a sudden here I was with a sledgehammer Josh was there that day Josh helping me put my fence up in the backyard it wasn't anything pretty it was the cheap slats from Devon Lumber. It was pounding pegs in the ground and four by fours and just grabbing the air nailer and ching, ching, ching. And I remember telling Josh, this is awkward. I, this is a little unusual. I, I, I don't want to offend my neighbors. They say great fences make great neighbors. 
That wasn't the case for me. Fences speak of interruption and isolation. They speak of a desire for independence. I don't want to be a part of what you have. I remember, and, and can I tell you that <clears throat> now that Kristen is no longer home, the pool is gone. As a matter of fact, she wasn't even gone and the pool was. It was last fall. I, I knew that it was going to involve a bunch of work before winter and I just free pool. Come and pick it up. And I, somebody came along and picked it up and Kristen was looking out the window and I said, there it goes. <laughs> Farewell. I didn't realize that upset her a little bit. And, and not long after the pool was gone, the fence did too. Now I have a little fence to hang some lights on, one piece in the backyard that was holding up a wood pile. Or maybe the wood pile was holding up the fence, I don't know. <laughs> However that was, but <clears throat> the fence for the most part is gone. And my neighbor remarked to me, our yards have never looked better. Maybe she's right. But fences, great fences make great neighbors. Well, not always. Sometimes it speaks of division and separation and an intention on our part not to be involved. Not that that would be any of you. It was in Luke chapter 10. You, some of you are wondering, where in the world is he going this morning? He's got... Uh, 28 minutes to 18 minutes to wrap this up. There's my ringer. 18 minute reminder. <laughs> Luke chapter 10, verse 25. A certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. Some say rich young ruler. We know yuppies. These were Riley's. Rich young rulers. Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what is written in the law? How readest thou? He answered and said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Know that one and all thy soul with all thy strength. Check and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right this do and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, who is my neighbor? Can I remind everybody today that you need a neighbor? Can I, can I just let somebody know, uh, I know that you're already doing the mental checklist and you've already started to say, well, I, I think that I got this one under control. I can leave a little early and catch lunch. Um, just, can we just stay together for a little bit, at least 15 minutes? Are you with me? All right. There are four questions that are asked in the text that we read. Two questions posed by the lawyers and two, lawyers and two by the master. The interesting thing about these questions is that it lets us know that in some ways, maybe with technology or our understanding of sociology or all the psychology that we've got, we, we know people a little bit better. But when it comes right down to it, we haven't changed all that much in a few thousand years. Humanity is still the same. The first question is about eternal life. People still want to know what happens when we die. It appear that the motive of the lawyer 
the rich young ruler was to set entangle Jesus in a theological argument and it would affect the followers that had gathered, the people that had come together, that it would create doubt, cast question, all those kind of things to disrupt the teaching of the master. But Jesus was never ever, I don't know how long it took them to learn that we just can't catch him in words. People still want to know about eternal life and and Jesus was ready to answer his question. The second question was about a temporal life. The first question was about what do I need to do to get there? And then the, the second question is about what do I need to do here? What is my responsibility? Where where does where does the the to-do list end for me? How how far do I have to go? What's the boundary marker? Where's the barrier? Where, where can I kind of say, I've gone far enough. I've done enough. I've, I've made sure that I've checked all the marks beside the Ten Commandments. I'm doing everything that I should and everything that I could. And, and I've got this all together. That's why I'm asking the question is because I think I'm the best one to pose the question. But yet he is still left without the answer after doing everything that he had done. And now the teacher was in the room to speak to him. Who is my neighbor? You see, here's the challenge that we have. We, we have our communities in order. And we have our routines in place. We surf the same circle of friends. And we think we're fulfilling the great commandments. But I'm not sure that we are today. We can name our neighbors, perhaps. I'm glad to be able to say that I have communication with them, that, I, that we have a good relationship, that we have camaraderie and we work together. As a matter of fact, I got a text last night. I was already asleep. My neighbor texted me. If you want to park a car in my driveway, feel free. Maybe because our yard was starting to look like Jim Gilbert's. I don't know. Reminds me, I still haven't responded. <laughs> Rocky, I hear you laughing. He drives by my house every day. <laughs> to check on me. <laughs> He's my neighbor. <laughs> but I wonder sometimes... Have we created limits on how far we're willing to extend? And God may be challenging us a little this morning to reach beyond where we have before. We can name Fred Flintstone's neighbor, Dennis the Menace's neighbor, but some of us have trouble naming our own neighbors, and, and this is just the beginning. We're just getting warmed up, and we only have 13 minutes left. It's not just the church that needs to talk about it. It's community that needs to talk about it. McLean's Magazine ran an article in their magazine called The End of Neighbors. They said it's a new day in neighborhoods all across the Western world. More than 30% of Canadians now say they feel disconnected from their neighbors, while half of Americans admit that they don't know the name of theirs. 
An Australian sociologist investigating community responses in the wake of the floods in the Queensland found that relationships were in a precarious position because neighbors, even in the midst of emergencies, were unwilling or felt uncomfortable to reach out and let their neighbor know about a problem that existed right in their own neighborhood. That is how deep the divide has become in some of our own communities. A recent poll said that 2,000 of 2,000 Britons found that one-third of them declared that they couldn't pick their near neighbors out of a police lineup. Yet it's hardly surprising because when we think about lengthy working days, long commutes, both parents in the labor force, children at daycare, the way that we raise our kids in a suburban neighborhood involved in sports and activities and community events and, and always coming and always going that we tend to sometimes not take time to connect with the people that are closest to us. And so we have this economic and social force at work beyond the people that live right next door. And yet God is calling us to connect with the people are you ready? That we don't know yet. That we don't know yet. You know, there's, I'll, I'll save us the data, but there's literally studies that have shown that that lack of connection that people have, you know, we'll, we'll fare fine because we have each other. We're all here this morning. We're here together in the house of the Lord and, and God's been good to us and we have this common bond and common connection. We'll fare fine, but there are many who don't have what I have. There are many that don't have, they don't have this. Someone say yet, yet. And God has called the church to reach beyond because he is intention, intentional about connecting us with the people we haven't connected with yet. People with connections, people in, that live in community live an average of 15 years longer than loners. Quality face-to-face -face contact is essential for a social species, yet some people live alone. People with the most integrated social lives, overlapping relationships among friends, family, sports, and other recreation, rec rec recreational or religious pursuits have the best prognosis with the most life-threatening diseases. Why? Because community matters. Connection is important. You need to expand your neighborhood. Your neighborhood has got to get bigger. Who's my neighbor? Your neighborhood, it's not just the person next door. It's not just the person that lives down the hall. It's not, it's not the person that you visit on a regular basis. Your neighborhood has got to grow. Anybody know that your neighborhood can grow? Even if there's not another single house that's added, why? Because your neighbor can grow. The number of neighbors that you connect with, who you define as your neighbor determines your neighborhood. And if we start to define the person that I meet at Walmart regularly and I start to connect with them, they're my neighbor, then all of a sudden, my neighborhood just grew. 
And God wants our church to grow our neighborhoods that may not be with stick and mortar. It may not be with concrete and lawns out front. But can I just remind us all that God wants our neighborhoods to grow. The greatest growth opportunity we have is if we begin to reach beyond the borders of where we walk right now and say, come on, I need you to be a part of my community. I need you to be a part of my life. I want to be a part of what's happening in your life. I need my neighborhood to grow we need our neighborhoods to grow we don't need to be like the rich young ruler who starts to to try and define the boundaries tell me exactly who is my neighbor verse 29 and buckle your seatbelts you ready he's he willing to justify himself because some of us were already there we're we're trying to to walk ourselves back out of the sermon this morning but like him, he was willing to justify himself. He said, who is my neighbor? Let's, let's, let's narrow the field. Let's, let's define it so I can do it. Let's, let's, kinda, let's get this in order. And it's in that moment that Jesus begins to tell the story of the good Samaritan. Neighbor is an important word in Scripture. It's found 135 times. The concept of loving neighbors is addressed over and over and over again. And Jesus was about to take the step one step further. He was about to pick up the tent peg that defined the boundary of the neighborhood and move it down the line a little further than it had ever been. The moving story hinges on marvelous words that are spoken and a story that's given. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side and likewise a Levite, when he was come to the place, looked, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Not my neighbor. I'm busy. I got a lot on the go today. This was not on the schedule. Siri, set a reminder. Look out. Come on, look out for the one man lost along the way. Siri, set a reminder. Look out. Look out for the individuals who's fallen along the way. Siri, set a reminder. Remind me to look for someone who's fallen, who's been attacked, who's, who's fallen into a place that they don't deserve. They shouldn't be there, but they need help to get out. God, would you remind us who is our neighbor this morning? A certain Samaritan as he journeyed, not the Levite, not the one keeper of the law, not the, the rich young ruler who was willing to pass on the other side. But he said a certain Samaritan, Jesus just kind of hauled back and hit him right where it hurts. The most unexpected individual came along. The person that everybody said, they're not going to help me. They're not going to help out. They're not going to help in this circumstance or this situation. That Samaritan, it says, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, here's the key. He had compassion on him. God 
would you let compassion rest on us because our neighborhoods will never grow as long as we refuse to be compassionate, as long as we refuse to be moved with compassion. Our neighborhoods will never grow. We'll never see the neighbor we need to see unless we're filled with the love that God has, unless we have the compassion that God can give. But we've got to be willing to receive it. We've got to love people. It's come up in conversation a number of times, and, and I know that us as a community are believe, as a believers that, that we are walking through a very difficult circumstance. And many of us sometimes we're asking ourselves, is there something more that I could have done to help? Is there something more that I could have done? Is there something that I could have said? And, and, and you know, often we, we, we can answer that honestly and say, you know, we did what we could do. We, but but I, I've got to, we are still left wrestling with the question, is there something more that I could have done? Anybody with me this morning? You, you want to know where that question is birthed from? It's birthed from a place of compassion. Why? Because people have got to matter to us. We've got to be moved until we begin to see not just somebody, but we see an eternal soul. We've got to be moved until we just, it's not just somebody in the car beside us. It's somebody that's going to spend an eternity somewhere and we have an answer and we have a hope and we can help if we're willing to be a good Samaritan, if we're willing to step aside from our activity, if we're willing to step aside from our routine, if we're willing to step aside from everything that we've got in order in all of our plans and we're moved with compassion and we say they need me right now they need what I've got right now and I'm going to be the good Samaritan I want to be that we need to be that we need to be the individuals of compassion it says that he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in the oil and the wine. And he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these thinkest thou was neighbor? Who was the neighbor? The lawyer said, he that had showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do that likewise. They don't mean that the Samaritan simply felt sorry for the man, but he was moved with compassion. Compassion is that remarkable Greek word. Spoke about the most intense emotional connection in a human being. To be moved with compassion pushes us out of our comfort zone, pushes us out of our routine. Jack Lehman needs to be more compassionate. I need compassion. I need a good old healthy dose of compassion. I, 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 need, I need to knock self down. And move compassion in. I need that. Because that's what Jesus had. 
The Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion separated Jesus from the crowd, and compassion will separate us too. When people met Jesus, they knew they were encountering somebody who cared about them. They sensed that he would do whatever it took to reach them, to connect with them. And the bridge that brought them, brought them together was compassion. We're told that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw crowds like sheep without a shepherd. When he was moved with compassion because he saw the people's hunger and their need. He was moved. This is the word used. He was moved with compassion when the leper approached him. He was moved with compassion when two blind men came to him for healing. The word is also used to describe that that sense, that love, and that caring that Jesus had for the widow of Nain who had recently lost her son. He said, don't cry. Why? Because he was moved with compassion in all of his activities in the three and a half years that Jesus had to save the world, in the three and a half years that he had to train 12 disciples, in the three and a half years that he had to move about his region and connect with all of the people that he had to connect with and do everything that he had to do and spend time in his personal prayer meeting and spend time in the synagogue learning more about the word of God and spend time connecting with people. You know what, Jesus? still took the time for to be moved with compassion he took the time to be moved out of his routine to be moved off of his schedule to be moved uh, come on that's what Jesus did he was moved with compassion and we need that today coming back to the music The whole Sermon on the Mount describes the hard and difficult relationships that we find in life and challenges us to do and act outside of the, the social norms that are there. Here's, here's just a few. This is, you know what compassion will do? Compassion will help you in this area. Number one, we love this one. No, we don't. Love your enemies. Yeah, but, no, period. Bless those who mistreat you. Don't demand your rights. Give to everyone who asks of you. Treat everyone the same way you'd want to be treated. Do good to those who've done nothing to you and won't repay you. <laughs> oh, Lord. Share what you have without expecting anything in return. Be merciful to people who are ungrateful. Don't judge or condemn anyone, even if they deserve it. I wish I had Andy here right now. He could do this so much better than me. I'd have his hand going. I'd be free. You'd all still love me when the sermon's finished. Compassion. Have compassion on the preacher this morning. But to love like Jesus takes transformation. It means allowing compassion to be pump, become a part of our everyday life. What if you'd stand together with me this morning?
Can I, can I just challenge us today? I'm just going to step back from the notes. I just flipped four pages. I'm not even going there. <clears throat> but can, can we, can we re-examine the limits that we put on life? And who and where we're willing to connect? And I, I'm not, I'm not talking about us lessening our, our biblical standards. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about loving people until they know we're willing to do whatever it takes to reach them. It was the new commandment that Jesus, it was the new paradigm, it was the new cultural shift, this compassion. A new commandment I give you is what he said, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples and that you have loved one to another. But he'd already defined that that love wasn't limited to my family, my friends, the, the circle that I can draw with a big stick that everybody can get inside. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, you got to throw the stick away and reach beyond the routine and the regular because your neighborhood is bigger than that today. If there was ever a time when we need community more than ever, it's in this time of isolation and separation. We're trying to navigate new norms. We're trying to change our activities and, and adjust the way that we interact. We're, we're trying to do all that, but in the middle of it, we can't forget that people need us. It's the perfect excuse. Oh, if we could, we would. Can I just say you can? You can. You can pick up a phone. You can still talk through your mask. You can still stay six feet away. I mean, six feet is a safe distance for disease, but it's also a safe distance so we don't have to get involved. I'm going to guess that it was about six feet on the other side of the road that the Levite chose to walk by on. It's about six feet on the other side of the road that the priest said, I've got too much going on today to mess with this. I don't have seven days to be unclean. I'm going to step by on the other side and I'm going to go my way because I got too much to do. I can't afford to mess with that. And God's saying, hold on, let me tell you about a good Samaritan who comes along and he sees someone in need and says, I can't afford not to help. I can't afford not to dig deep. I can't afford not to get off my beast and reach because that person needs me right now. And if I don't, then who will? And if we won't, then who can? We've got to be willing. Who's my neighbor? You need a neighbor. You need a neighbor. You need a neighbor that isn't in your life yet. Can I tell you right now that you don't know the neighbor we're preaching about this morning. You don't know them yet. You haven't met them. 
you haven't come across them yet. You haven't come across their path. Your paths have not yet crossed. I'm, I'm preaching about a neighbor that you're, you've not yet encountered. You, have any, you don't know their name. You don't know what they look like. You don't even know where they live. You don't know anything about their family. Your paths have not crossed. But they're that neighbor that you need. And before we're too quick to walk by on the other side, God's saying, I'm looking for a church who's willing to say, I'm stopping. I'm helping. I'm reaching I'm calling I'm going I'm come on I'm saving I'm pulling I'm doing whatever it takes so I can connect with that individual when they come across my path I don't know them yet but I will it's not what we have right now it's not our family it may be them that we're still compassionate about and it's not just the friends that we have it's not our peers and our associates it's not the people we work with it's somebody that we don't even know yet and here's the thing we don't know when they're going to come across our path i can't tell you it's going to be tuesday at 7 p.m i can't tell you it's going to be thursday nine o'clock a.m i don't know when but here's what i do know god's going to allow your path your path to divinely cross somebody who's deeply in need and what the challenge from the word is saying this morning is be ready have enough margin in your life so that when it comes time to be moved with compassion you're able to go and do what God has called you to do could someone shout amen We have to be willing to invite the interruption. I hate that. I hate what that does to schedule. I hate what that does to order. I, I have a hard time getting things in order as it is. I need all the help of Eric, Pastor, Kathy, Nicole that I can get. I'm not avoiding Matt. But he's a little bit too much like me. <laughs> but I need that interruption. If I, Jesus, can I, I'm closing. Jesus made this an eternal issue. We are great at this. Let's preach about prayer. Let's, and we need it. There's two. There's, there's an axis here that we both have to walk, we all have to walk through. We have to walk through both of this axis. We've got, we've got to maintain this. This has got to be in order. As a matter of fact, I, I'd even say that this is our priority because until we get this right, we can't get this right. But when we get this right, and as we get this right, then, then we had better be sure that we are getting this right. Because Jesus said, there's two, there's two rules, there's two commandments, and all of the other commandments hinge on these two. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second, like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the person that's next to you. Love the person that's near to you, but hold, wait for it, wait for it. Love the person that you haven't even met yet that's going to mess up your schedule. That, that's your neighbor too. 
And from what I read, I need that neighbor if I'm going to make eternity a part of my eternity. I need, it's not just a want. It's not just, oh, well, we're, you know, we're, we're batting three out of seven or three out of ten on that, and we're doing all right on that. No, no, no. Jesus said, this is essential. If you're wanting to talk about what must I do for eternal life, I've got to make sure I get this in order. I've got to make sure the plan of salvation is fulfilled and active in my life. I've got to make sure that I'm a part of the bride of Christ. I've got to make sure of all that. But you know what else? I've got to make sure that my neighborhood is consistently and constantly growing because neighbors need you. Like a good neighbor, you're there. Father, I thank you for your help that I feel in the room this morning. God, this isn't condemnation. This is what we do sincerely invite your conviction today. We invite you to challenge us. God, we invite you to speak to us. This isn't for a select few. This isn't for a couple that have this vertical line together into your throne room, that this is for everybody. Because there are people, God, who the lifeline that you will cause to come across their path will be a person that's here in this room today. And I'd ask that you'd give someone the courage to speak, that you'd give someone the courage to love, and God, that you'd give someone the courage to be moved by compassion. I thank you today, God, for that love that you love us with. But don't let it be a stagnant pond where it just piles up in our life. God, let there be a flow. So we're a conduit of your grace. We're a channel of your mercy. And God, transformation can happen because we simply reached today. Would someone just make that prayer very personal? It's all right if you don't pray out loud, that's fine. But I wish that you would be very intentional and maybe even intense about asking God about where it is that we may be walking to the wrong side when God is calling us to walk in. For the millions who are lost and cannot find the way 